having that musical support might make you feel more comfortable in your teaching too. Like that might just bring out that extra little bit of authenticity in your classes where you feel like you could really shine. Welcome. Stick around if you want to learn about the art and philosophy of beautiful movement mixed with evidence-based exercise science. We'll be having tough and inspiring conversations with other coaches, experts, artists, and athletes. Our goal is to challenge myths, explore concepts, and engage in healthy debate as we dive deep with intrigue and curiosity. I'm your host, Hannah Deutscher. I've been teaching dance, Pilates, and yoga for over two decades. And what I've learned is that movement can be the joy that integrates us all together. When we can trust and express ourselves through our bodies, we are unlimited in our ability to change ourselves and our communities for the better. We, as movement teachers and coaches, have the power to help people experience this for themselves. Okay, everyone, let's dive in. Exchanging ideas and changing people's lives one session at a time. This is the Pilates Exchange. Welcome back, everyone, to the Pilates Exchange for part three of everything music. Now, I want to preface this by saying I am not a lawyer in this area, and this is by no means any sort of legal advice. There's a lot of different bodies, governing bodies that you need to be aware of that are pertaining to your particular situation. So I'm going to link in my website, I will link to all of those because I think that would be a good resource for you. So let us backtrack. (laughs) Part one of this series, I said, everyone should be using music in your Pilates classes. Part two, I went into all the reasons why I don't think you should be using music. And part three is really about both of those being true. And what do I mean? I think generally we need to give ourselves more room would give ourselves and give each other a little bit more room to create spaces that are going to be the best for our clients. So not only just the best for your clients, but the best for you, how do you thrive in your teaching? And I'd like to make the case for each one of us is so individual, how they like to teach, how the clients that you're interacting with, it would better serve you to have the information of why you would like to, why you don't like to, or wouldn't want to, and make a good decision somewhere between the two, because there is no clear, yes, you should, and no, you shouldn't. And I hope that came through in the in the previous two podcasts. So things that I'd like you to consider is, what is your audience? What are the clientele that are making up your classes? And would they benefit from a little bit more silence and from the music? And how would you create a space where it is respectful of people's needs? And so one idea would be if you decided to work with music, you might want to already have that in the class description. You might already want to say, okay, this class has, you know, soft background music so that they already know what they're going into or pop music or hey, punk fans, this is the Pilates class of your dreams. (laughs) You might be able to, through your musical choices, really niche out a place in the market that generates a new public for your classes, for your business. And that might be a very wise business decision, actually, because we want to pick up people 
into the joy of movement wherever they're at. So if they're like, if they love a certain type of music and that's the same love that you have, why not offer that? We'll get into a few of the how to do that in just a few minutes. Um, Equally, you could also in your class description, say something about this class is going to be conducted without the use of music. So you could really concentrate on mindfulness or the silence or listening to your breath. And that might be exactly what people are looking for. I think where we come into dissonance is where it's not clear for the client or the potential client, what the experience is going to be for them. So having that in your wording might save them a little bit, you know, it might attract them to the class. It also might save them a little bit of disappointment if it is not what they expected. So I like everything with clear expectations. I find that's awesome. What I found interesting, I did a very unofficial poll. (laughs) Thank you, Instagram. Very unofficial poll. And I really thank everyone that participated in that. And I was asking, does music belong in a Pilates class? 77% of people said it does, and 33% said no. What I found really interesting in the private conversations that I was having with teachers is that often what they would do for their own practice is different than what they did in their teaching practice. And this is, again, this is not a study of it. It was just an observation. So a lot of people, if they, teachers had preferred teaching with music, they enjoy practicing in silence. Just found it was, or opposite. I just found that to be an interesting observation. But at 77% of people enjoying music in your classes, that's actually quite a large number, I would say. So (laughs) yeah, but clearly labeling the class with the music or even the vibe, maybe if it's not, you know, exactly what music you're going to be using, but the vibe that's there would be Yeah, I think that's good. For us, we try to do that, but we also are, like in a personal training, we're allowing the client, if they want to listen to music, to pick that vibe that they would like, that they feel would be motivating for them. We have definitely clients that are silence only, and you could hear a pin drop in the room, and that's what they need to really focus on themselves and get to their goals. We have other people that would rather have something going on just in the background, just enough to take the tension off is what they have described that. And there's other people that really like a more present beat in the class. And for them, that's energizing. The previous podcast, we've talked about why that could be for those people. But being open to what your person needs in front of you is also really powerful, giving them the choice to have a say in what's happening in that experience if possible, you know, if you're, if you're teaching a huge class of a lot of people, you know, everyone's going to have a different choice in there. So maybe it's just, maybe not everyone gets to pick the musical accompaniment when it's a group class, but definitely in a personal training, that might be something to consider. I also want to make the, I don't know if it's really making a point, but I'd like to sort of accentuate the idea that if you're a music lover and you're a teacher, having that musical support might make you feel more comfortable in your teaching too. Like that might just bring out that extra little bit of authenticity in your classes where you feel like you could really shine. Everyone's a hero in their own story. So how is that soundtrack supporting your, you know, that idea of a movie? Like how is that soundtrack supporting your class as 
you the hero and also them the hero, but as the teacher, like that bringing out that authenticity, if you're really vibing with that music and really super enjoying it, I'm not talking about like singing along the entire class. I'm not talking about distracting your, your, your intention in the class, but having that with you, it might be the way for you to calm down if you are a little bit more of a nervous teacher or feel more grounded or feel more energized or, or whatever that is. And when you are doing your best as a teacher, you're able to offer more and be more generous with your information. Now, if you do decide to work with music, I think there is some tricky things that you need to be thinking about that maybe we could get a, if you're a lawyer and you know about this, please contact me. I'll have you on and we could just really discuss bit for bit what this entails. I think movement teachers aren't really recognizing the responsibility that they have if they've decided to use music in their classes. It is a big contentious issue. We'll go into just little bits of this, but licensing. Licensing is one thing. Each country has its own performing rights organizations that collects royalties from the businesses that are playing those songs and it distributes to the artists, the composers, any other relevant people or parties. So there's licensing for different music and that's going to be depending on the regulations of your region. And there might even be more licensing agencies like several that you need to comply with depending on what country you're in. See a lot in these Facebook groups about, oh, well, this is the answer for everything. Oh, you just got to pay over here. It's not that simple. You really need to do the research for where you are teaching. When I started teaching, I felt underprepared and overwhelmed. I needed to learn how to plan my training so that it made sense, but I wasn't sure what was working and what wasn't. So many teacher training programs leave out the actual art and business of teaching. This is why we created Train the Trainers. Train the Trainers is designed to give you the tools you need to create a powerful learning environment for your students. Gain access to the vault of our collected knowledge where you can learn everything we have to teach you, whether you are a freelance teacher or a studio owner. Get constructive feedback on your teaching with actionable tools you can apply immediately. We can't wait to be part of your teaching journey and to help you grow in your business. Welcome to Train the Trainers. We also have the issue of copyright. So what is that? Music copyright is a set of rights granted by the country's government for the intellectual property. Because right, music is intellectual property. Someone thought it up and created it. So as the owner of the music, that copyright gives the musician the right to make it, to sell it, to distribute it. That's how people are earning their livings, right? Just like we're earning our living from teaching classes. So they get a right, they have the right to make a living from the music that they are producing. Depending on who's owning the copyright, you know, there might be different limitations on how it's being publicly performed or how it's displayed. Or So here's the funny thing is that music streaming services, like let's just take a big one like Spotify because most people know that. Even if you're paying for it, for that legal, you're not paying to put it in a class. You're paying so that you can listen to it, that you can stream it, not to make it a public service. So that paying for the Spotify does not allow you to be playing music in your studio, your gym, your fitness center, in your classes. That is something else entirely. And I think there's a real misconception there. So paying for your pro version of Spotify 
isn't doing that. And I know people take issue with Spotify and they should, but we're not going to do that in this podcast because they are not paying their artists appropriately. And, you know, that's a whole big mess. The music industry has a lot of stuff going on and I'm not going to wade into that, but you are not doing yourself any service or the musicians any service by the few euros or dollars that you're paying for your monthly Spotify subscription is not paying the artists. And it's also not paying the licensing that you would need for your classes. So I think that is something that you need to be very aware of because if you're not paying attention to what the government wants or those, those other agencies, right? Those other organizations that want to cut of the pie to feed so that the musicians can, you know, put food on their table, you run into the potential of being fined like a lot of money. (laughs) That is not something what you want to do because that would be illegal, right? Then there's the other idea of using music only that's in the public domain. So what is that? So public domain music, those are songs that are not protected by copyright and can be used without permission and payment. So you could use all of your music from public domain sources and the length of the copyright protection, like that is also different country to country. Music along with like other creative works, but it's generally going to be in the public domain about 50 to 75 years after the death of the creator. So for example, all historical musical works pre-1929, those are all public domain. So you, you can use that music and there's special websites that you can take music from there. That being said, there might be limitations on that depending on who has recorded the music, right? So if you are listening to one of you know the great orchestras of the world, like say Cleveland Orchestra or London Philharmonic, like those are recordings that might not be in public domain, even though the music is in public domain. So you see, it's a very, very complicated thing right there that I just want you as the teacher or the studio owner just to be aware of that. Then we have royalty-free music, and that is not the same as copyright-free Royalty-free music is music you could use in content without paying royalties to the artists or right holders every time it's played. So royalty-free music would come into play like if you have a YouTube channel and you have music that's accompanying your classes, that should be royalty-free or you're paying a subscription that works for the digital space or for your class space, okay? Because again, those licensing agencies have the right to take away the music if it is not royalty free or if you're not paying for it in the right way. So you cannot have a Spotify list, stream that, do your class to it, and then put it on YouTube. That's not going to work because someone else owns the right to that music, namely the artist and the publishing house of the music. Now, we do have organizations that you could pay a subscription to that covers most of this. The one that we've been using for several years now that we love, Epidemic Sound, they work with the artists and they produce a lot of original music. And we believe that this is ethical because their musical creators get paid. That's something we're sure of. Chris and I do a lot of research 
anytime we're going to be partnering with any sort of company at all, because we want to make sure that it fits our ethical standards. So this is one that we've been using. We love them. You'll find their music from content creators in all of our stuff that's going to be on YouTube or, you know, our podcast intro or the also on Instagram. So that's the music we use because we're paying a subscription for it. I will link that into my show notes so that you could have a listen to that. There is a link with an affiliate link because we love them. We've tried them out. And if that's something that you decide, go through that link that would help us. We might get a couple cents from it, if anything. If you did decide to go that way, I can also pass along my, because I have playlists that I've created for my classes. And if that's interesting to you, just reach out and I can send over some playlists that we've been doing on Epidemic Sound. In any case, back to these agencies, the licensing agencies. I couldn't find all of them. There's a lot of countries out there, my friends. <laughs> but I'm going to link to some of the big agencies that you can contact to see if you are covered with say epidemic sound or if what you are currently doing is covered by them. Some of these agencies, like whether it's ASCAP in the United States or BMI or GEMA here in Germany, I think Australia has musical rights of Australia. Every country has its own thing. You can contact them directly and see what you need to do to be covered. Sometimes it is that you need to be paying a small fee to be in protecting yourself and that small fee is then getting collected by these agencies and then distributed back to the musicians as a collective. But each agency, it's worth it to go check it out because you don't want to be ending up on the wrong side of these agencies. So I just find that is a very, very important aspect of it because we want to use music that's effectively, that's going to power your classes, but also legally. And then there's that ethical part of it. I hope that makes sense. <laughs> a lot of ideas over the past few weeks. I'm sure I've missed some. That's that's always the nature of it. If you'd like me to do a follow-up or you have contact with a lawyer that would like to go a little bit deeper with what we could do to be protecting ourselves, then send them over my way. I think that that would be great to get them involved as well. So again, this is not legal advice at all from my side. It's just things that you need to be cautious about, aware of, so that at the end, you are making decisions. I think that's what it is. It's always a decision, what you're doing, a thoughtful, mindful decision, how you're teaching your classes. How do you want that atmosphere? What is the experience that you're giving to your clients and doing in a way that protects you from legal repercussions and a way that benefits you if you have a studio in a way that you could connect with new clientele, niche out, and in the end, bring movement to more people. So with that, I will leave you. I'm wishing you a wonderful rest of your week, wherever you are. I will see you next week. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. A great cost-free way of supporting us and the podcast would be to give us a five-star rating. You can also look down into the show notes and grab any one of the free resources for teachers. I hope to see you next week on the Pilates Exchange. Happy teaching, everyone.